0: If you are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Mark 14, verse 28 is where we're going to start. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked them, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and all the understanding and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one else dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You can have a seat,
1: and as you do, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to Mark chapter 12, as we continue walking through the Gospel of Mark. Um, we are in an interesting part of the story where Jesus is actively sitting in the temple. Uh, it's just a few days before he's crucified, so spoiler alert, he's going to die on a cross. Um, and uh, uh, and in this moment, there's been a continuing like rotation of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish leaders of the people, uh, who would send kind of groups of them to question and ask and try to trick or trap or, uh, or stumble up Jesus in asking him challenging questions. Uh, and in this moment, this is a little bit different of a scenario. Uh, this guy's not coming with um, ulterior motives. He's just coming with genuine curiosity to Jesus. And so, uh, so as we dive into this passage, let me ask you a question, and I want you to really consider it and, and answer it from uh, as best of an honest heart as you possibly can. Um, when you think about God, um, and you, what is God's highest priority for you? What is His highest priority for you? Now, I know if we were to look at churches and Christians around the world, we'd come to a variety of conclusions. Uh, the, I grew up in church, and to kind of put it in perspective when, when I grew up, I grew up going to church, we went to church, it's one of my first memories as a human being was going to this little tiny white church uh, in the middle of the country in Arkansas. Uh, and I grew up going to that church, and, and unknowingly, I uh, uh, didn't grow up going to that church, uh, unknowingly the churches that I grew up in uh, had a culture that was uh, focused, if not infatuated, on the laws of God. Uh, and they were communicative, or communicated and they were non-communicated rules. There were some things that were like explicitly don't do these things and some things that were you know you're not supposed to do these things even though nobody's telling you don't do these things. Uh, and they were focused and infatuated on the, the rules, the, the what Christians do and the what Christians don't do, the things that we're supposed to follow and not supposed to follow. Um, they were focused on these commands and there were things like don't drink, don't smoke, don't get tattoos, and don't hang with those who do. That kind of stuff. Or don't have sex, or don't wear hats, or dress modestly. Were the things that when I think back of growing up in church as a, as a child and as a teenager, those were the things that were like highest of priority in what was being communicated uh, either directly or indirectly in the culture of the church. I remember one moment as a, when I was a youth pastor, Uh, An older man who who loved the Lord deeply, his dear, dear, dear brother, um, older guy in his his later 80s came up to me one evening um, when we had a church service that our teenagers were at with us, um, and he was concerned about a young lady at our church that was in our student ministry, and and he began to scold me about the length of her shorts. Um, And uh, and, uh, telling me that she shouldn't be dressed like that when we are in church, uh, and as a youth pastor, I was aware of it. I, like I was aware of um, the concerns about modesty. Um, from the get-go, as a youth pastor, when I was interviewed, um, they asked Rachel and I, what are you going to do about the modesty of the girls in our church? And it was, uh, Our question was like, that's mom and dad's job. <laughs> Not mine. Not my job. That's mom and dad's job. That um, he came up to me and he was very concerned and uh, scolding me about this as if it was something that I needed to address right then in that moment. And I knew this young lady and I knew the issues around modesty uh, that she had. Um, I knew uh, the, the concern about her, her dress that, um, that others may have been uh, willing to come and scold me about. Um, but I also knew this I knew that she was deeply in need of the grace of Jesus. Uh, and the hope of the gospel to work in her life. Uh, Far more in need of that than um, to wear longer shorts. Um, And and does her modesty matter? Yes, but more deeply, her, uh, uh, her lack of modesty was a reflection of something in her heart and the need of God to work in her, to transform her from the inside out. And oftentimes those uh, things that I grew up in church around, concerned about, don't wear a hat in church, dress like this, don't drink, don't smoke, don't get tattoos, dress modestly, don't have sex, all those kinds of things are not wrong things to say. Some of them. I mean, I don't care if you wear a hat. Uh, put your hat on if you want to. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a hat. But like, uh, those are not bad things to consider um, in our lives. But ultimately, those are external concerns, they're concerns about the external obedience, doing and don't do, and do's and don'ts of uh, the Christian life. And, and so the question for us today is this. Is that the priority of the king for his people? Like, Is that what Jesus is most concerned about? Is what Jesus the king, behold the king, it's what we're doing through the Gospel of Mark, is the thing that he is most concerned about whether you drink or smoke or get tattoos or wear hats or, uh, or have sex or dress immodestly or, or, or any of those things or ones that we would adapt for today because that was 15 years ago when I was in high school. And today as we walk through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is approached by a teacher of the law. He's a preacher. He's a pastor. And he asks Jesus Of all the things that God says for his people to do, what's most important? What's the most important? And so today, here's the main point and the two things we're going to look at. It'll be up on the screen for us as we go through. Uh, the, The whole point we're looking at here is this. The priority of the king for you is love. That's the main point of the whole morning. The priority of the king, Jesus, for you, what he's most concerned about is love. Specifically, uh, your love for God and your love for your neighbor. Like, that's what he's most concerned about. That's what's the highest priority. And from there, yes, everything else works itself out. By the grace of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word through his people, it works itself out in his gracious patience. And so, so, so look with me here as we walk through this passage and we look at how Jesus unpacks that the priority of the king, our good gracious God, is for you is, is love. It starts this way. In verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which command is the most important of all? So Jesus is having ongoing conversations and I don't know if they're interrupting him teaching or they're waiting until he finishes telling a parable and they're like, all right, now you guys go in there. And they've asked him these these conversations, these moments, these these questions to try and trick, trap, and get Jesus to, to bear false witness to either go against the state of Rome or to go against God and then therefore they can try him and have him executed. That's their aim and their goal. And throughout these arguments and disputes between Jesus and these other groups of the religious leaders, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, uh, and the other parts of the Sanhedrin, one of the scribes comes up to Jesus and to kind of put it in perspective, uh, the scribes are kind of the third part of the uh, the Sanhedrin, the, the leaders of the Jewish people. You have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, and you have the scribes. And And scribes were the theological group of this people. The Pharisees are all about keeping all the laws and all the rules. The, Sandi- the, 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 the Sadducees are all about um, conforming to the world and where we're at, and the scribes are about knowing and teaching the Bible. These are the theological interpreters, the scholars, and the pastors and teachers of the people of Israel. Um, And this guy, with all of that in him, him being a theologically minded, understanding who is God, understanding the Bible, knowing the laws, knowing God's Word, that guy, um, the scribes were the ones who taught in the synagogues. They would travel around, and they would teach the Bible in the synagogues, and they would open the scrolls. Uh, so this guy, he's there in the temple, and he hears these disputes, and he comes up to Jesus. And his posture towards Jesus is not combative like the previous groups of people who came up to him. His posture is one where he's actually impressed by Jesus. He's impressed by Jesus. And, and, and Jesus' responses in the last few uh, paragraphs of the story in these interactions ha- has done a work to draw this guy in a little bit closer With a curiosity, like he's very interested in Jesus, there's a curiosity about Jesus, there's a a desire for things to be right and to know what's true and to know what God's word has for his people that he has in him. He wants to be faithful to the Bible, to God's word, and so he's drawn to Jesus from that uh, by his wisdom he he's one of these guys that, like we saw, marvel at the wisdom of Jesus and how he responds to these questions meant to entrap him. And so he's not coming combative. He doesn't come to Jesus with this question uh, from a posture of trying to trip him up. Um, he may be coming with a, a posture of like, uh, I'm going to ask this guy a like, really like when the rubber meets the road kind of theological question and see if he's theologically right. Or he might genuinely just be curious. Hey, this is a good teacher. I want to know what's true. And uh, so, so that's who comes up. A little bit about the scribes. He's asked this question. He asked this question to Jesus: which commandment is the most important of all? And you see, the scribes have mapped out all of the Old Testament and come up with that there are 613 individual commandments in the Old Testament. 613 distinguishably different commands in the Old Testament that God gave to the people of Israel. And so he's essentially going, hey, out of the 613, which one's most important? Uh, He says it in this way, which one is most important of all? Your Bibles may say, uh, which one is, is first? And it's not a question of chronology of like, okay, what was the very first commandment given? It's a question of Priority. Which one is most significant? Which commandment is uh, is most important for God's people? And so Jesus answers. Jesus answers this way. In verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So when we look at this, this scribe who, who's very theologically minded, who knows the Bible, he knows the Old Testament, and he asks Jesus, what is God's greatest concern and what commandment takes precedent and priority from the Bible, over all of our life. What is it? And Jesus says, he quotes two passages of the Bible. Now, one is the Shema, and the other is a passage from, uh, from Leviticus about loving your neighbor. And let's look at these. Let's look at Jesus' response. The Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4-5, through 5, it says it this way. Hear, O Israel, the word Shema in Greek means to listen, and that's where the the, this phrase, this passage, which was memorized, which was uh, tied in little boxes on the front of their heads, like Jesus talks about later, and on their wrist. And it was literally in these little containers hung above the doorpost of their house and on their gates, like it would, if you read past verse 5, you'll see what they're supposed to do. It was what they memorized. It would be like the equivalent of the John 3.16 of the 90s. Uh, when everybody knows John three sixteen, if you grew up in the 80s, 90s, maybe even probably all the way back to Billy Graham's Crusades or something like that, when they started in the 50s, 60s, it was like the verse every single Jew was required and knew. You grew up learning it in Bible school as a kid and that kind of thing. It's, Hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And it starts with this, the Lord is one. That he is one God and he is the only God. And that we are to love him with all of ourselves. And so oftentimes you'll hear um, explanations of this passage go through. Like, okay, when he talks about heart, this is what he means. And when he, talks about, um, when he talks about soul, this is what he means. When he talks about mind, this is what he means. When he talks about strength, this is what he means. But in a nutshell, here's the deal. Uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength means all of you. All of you. That what is God's greatest concern? That you love the Lord with your entire being. Your entire being. An all encompassing love for God. Not a uh, love God with the leftovers. Not a uh, love God when you have have time for it. But a love God all-encompassing love. And it's from hearts to hands. And this is significant. Jesus talks about this in a few different other other passages. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's talking about the inner being, which he is most concerned about from his entire teachings, and God in the Old Testament even is the Father, most concerned about the heart, not the hands. Um, But from the heart overflows our words and our hands. And so it is all-encompassing from the deepest inner parts, the root of who we are, our heart, our soul, all the way out into our hands, our strength, and our words stemming from our heart, that we should love God. That love for God. So, what does it mean to love God? How do you define loving God? Like, what does it mean? What does it look like for us to love God? I mean, like, when I consider loving my wife or my kids or my friends, like, there's a tangible nature to that. Like, I, I get it. It's like, okay, for me to love my wife, that would mean that, um, that I, well, the way we define it at Trellview is that love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of the other person. Whether they deserve it or whether they're going to reciprocate it, it doesn't matter. Uh, Jesus says, no greater is there love than there than a man who laid down his life for his friend. A sacrificial love is how the Bible describes love. And so when I think about others, yeah, but what, is it, what does that mean in regards to God? Well, love for God looks like self-sacrifice of your will, your wants, and your desires in obedient faith and trust in Him. It's a, self, it's a sacrificing of yourself. It's a submission to Him, your will, your wants, your desires, in obedient faith and trust towards Him. So when we consider the Shema, this this command, the greatest commands, the, the, the thing that is most important, the priority that God our King has for us in love is that we love God with all of ourselves. And loving God with all of ourselves looks like laying down sacrificially my whole self for God. Whatever He wills, whatever He wants, whatever He desires walking in obedience, walking in faith and trust. So what does it look like to love God? Willing self-sacrifice for the glory of God. Willing self-sacrifice for the glory of God in your life. So the question for us is this. If the greatest command for us is that we love the Lord with our entire being, an all-encompassing love for God, do you love, your, love the Lord with all of yourself? Do you? And we can all own up to, like I said in our time of prayer, at Trailview we like to say, own it to take responsibility for your heart in its full honest form and come before God in confession and repentance. He is, humble and, or, uh, he is patient and merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. So come to him. Oftentimes the reality is our love for God is disjointed. Our love for God is segmented or segregated. I love God with this part, but not with this part. Or compartmentalized. I love God with this part of my life, this part of my life, but this part of my life, I kind of get to play God. I got to do what I get to do what I want with this part. Do you love God with all of yourself? The second thing that Jesus unpacks for us as the King's greatest priority for you is love. The first one is that we love God, and the second one is that we love our neighbor. He says this in verse 31, unsolicited. The second is this You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, this isn't original to Jesus, just to clarify other than that he is the creator of all things and the originator of all things. Uh, but this second commandment of uh, the love the Lord your God, with, or love your neighbor as yourself, isn't original to Jesus. There's nothing earth-shaking when they hear him say this. Uh, rabbi Hillel, who was about 20 years prior to Jesus, he was a Jewish rabbi who was very popular and very famous, and he taught the Old Testament and the law. He said it this way, What you would not want done to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the essence of the law. Everything else is mere commentary on it. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when Jesus answers this question, what is the greatest commandment? What is God's highest priority for His people when it comes to obedience? It's love your God and love your neighbor. What does loving your neighbor look like? What does that mean? And and like I said earlier, the way that we consistently, get this from Paul Tripp's book on marriage actually, um, that that love is willing self-sacrifice for the other person's good. We see it most clearly in Jesus. He willingly laid down his life for you. And it's willing self-sacrifice for their good, even when they don't deserve it, and even when they don't reciprocate it. It's not conditional. I will love you and I will sacrificially love you so long as that I get something from it. you love me back. It's not the love of God not the definition that Jesus and the gospel displays and tells us it's not I'll love my neighbor so long as my late my neighbor is worthy of my love no and so willing self-sacrifice for their good whether they deserve it or not or whether they reciprocate it or not So what does it look like to love your neighbor? To be more concerned about their good than your own. Uh, There's an interesting passage. This isn't a direct copy-paste kind of moment um, in in the Gospels. There's a passage in Luke 10 where a, a scribe comes up to Jesus and he says, how can I have eternal life? And he says, well, what does the law say? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, good, you're right. And then he says, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells a story. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. You may be familiar with the story. I'll kind of give you a little summary of it. You have a man who's traveling along the road, and he gets beaten, stripped naked, and robbed by some pirate bad dudes. And he's left naked, dead, uh, almost dead, barely alive on the side of the road. And, And a few different guys that are religious leaders walk by, and they ignore the guy and go on the other side because of religious purity reasons, and they keep going. And then the Samaritan, who's the enemy of this guy, comes along and he sees him. He picks him up out of the dirt. He bandages him up, and he takes him to the end. And he pays out of his own pocket for this guy's medical care and says, if I owe you anything else, I'll come back, and I'll pay for it. Jesus says, that's your neighbor. Your neighbor is even your enemy. And loving your neighbor looks like willingly from your pocket, from your energy, from your bank of life to care and do good for them. So, who's your neighbor? Literally your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your enemies the people who sit on the other side of the political aisle as you, or whatever situation that you may find yourself in. And you see, God's, the King's priority for you is love, that you love your neighbor and that you love your God. And to consider and think of it this way, from the heart flows everything and God's greatest concern for you is the love that is in you uh, by the Holy Spirit flowing out towards God and flowing out towards your neighbor so is our is your life marked by love for neighbor is your life marked by a willing self-sacrifice for the good of your neighbor To do good for your neighbor. The interesting thing though, uh, and, and what ought to be, this is, this is very instructive for us. Now, This part of this passage is very instructive for us and, and my hope is that by the power of the Holy Spirit at work through His Word, He is bringing in His kindness us to see our hearts more honestly and in that come humbly before Him in confession and repentance and say, God, I don't love you with my whole heart. I don't love you with my whole being. I don't love you with my hands. I don't love you with my desires. I don't willingly sacrifice what I want for what you want. I don't love my neighbor well. Yes, do, yes, all of those responses, 100% appropriate, but the story doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop there. The conversation with Jesus isn't in there. This isn't a, a moment where Jesus is just teaching, hey guys, listen, here's the greatest commandment. There's more to the story. In verse 32, the conversation continues. Oftentimes when we read this passage, we get through this part and we're like, yes, here's the point, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. All right, let's pray. Let's go. Let's love the Lord our God. Let's love our neighbors as ourselves. Hit the road. Let's go. See you next week. That's where we end. But look with me at verse 32. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offering and sacrifice. There's a significant moment in something he says here. He's saying, yes, Jesus, you're right. You're absolutely right. There's a significant moment here because he says, uh, what you just said, Jesus, is more important than whole burnt offering and sacrifice. And when did he say this? If we put ourselves in timeline and what's happening in this moment in actual history, they're in the temple and just... A day or so before, Jesus cleansed the temple of a whole bunch of sacrifices. It's the the time of Passover. There's literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of sacrifices and millions of people coming to the city of Jerusalem to make sacrifices on this day, in this moment, in this week of, of time in history. And this guy, this Bible teacher, this, this pastor, this scholar, this guy who knows the Word of God says something very important. He says, yes, to love your neighbor and to love your God is more important than the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament. That the Jewish people were instructed to do and very infatuated with. It's more important than the Passover they're about to do. Which this just echoes for me Psalm 51, where David in his sin caught writes this song of repentance. And he says, A broken or a, a a burnt offering and sacrifice you will not require, but a broken and contrite heart is what you desire. That we are concerned that we are not loving the Lord our God with our whole being and loving our neighbors as ourselves more than sacrifice more than forms of worship. But even then, verse 34 is the, call it the punchline of the, the conversation. Jesus says in 34, says, And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. See, Jesus responds to this guy he asks him a question, what's most important? What's the king's number one priority for his people? That we love God, that we love our neighbor. He says, yes, you're right, Jesus, you're absolutely right. And that's even more important than all of the ritualistic sacrifices of the Old Testament that we're actively doing right now in this very moment. And Jesus says these words that oftentimes we can hear uh, as a compliment. And Jesus says to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And I don't think Jesus is being snarky or sarcastic or flattering for sure. But we can oftentimes read that and be like, oh man, this guy's good. This guy's on it. This guy knows the Bible. But in reality, this statement by Jesus, you're not far from the kingdom of God, is a warning. Why? Because he's not far, but he's not in. He's not far from the kingdom. He's at its doorstep. But he's not in the kingdom. You see, this guy, despite his knowledge of the law, which would surpass most of any in our day, his years, maybe decades of study, Of the Old Testament in the Bible. That his faithful service to synagogue after synagogue after synagogue after synagogue. To teach the Bible. To open the scrolls and instruct God's people. His his likely giftedness and ability to teach. The, the, The time as a student literally scribing out the Bible to learn it. And to share it. His his understanding of the Bible and His wisdom, all of that, His knowledge, His years of study, His faithful service, His teaching, His understanding, and His wisdom still left Him out of the kingdom. That you can have all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the years of study, all the faithful time serving, all the abilities and gifts to teach and instruct, and all the wisdom and understanding, and still not Be in the kingdom. None of this gets you in the kingdom. None of it gets you in the kingdom. Are you? Are you in the kingdom? Or are you near? Or far. Do you know that the, the God's desire for you is that you would love Him and love your neighbor, yet you are not in His kingdom? You just have an intellectual knowledge of Him? It, a lot of people have talked about this as the difference between like here and here knowing, of being able to comprehend and understand or even articulate the things that God's Word says, but not actually ever repenting and surrendering to Him as your Savior and Lord? What does Jesus say? He talks about the kingdom all the time in, in His ministry. And when He shows up on the scene at the very beginning, He says this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So how, how do we get in the kingdom? If this guy had spent his mostly, most likely his whole life Dedicated to knowing the Bible to teaching the Bible to studying the Bible to, to learn the gifts and, and ways of articulating and teaching and understanding and wisdom that if he knew all 613 commands and knew all this stuff and knew even which one was most important yet he's not in how do we get in? So he can know all of this and be out. Jesus gives this warning in the Sermon on the Mount. On that day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do mighty works in your name and do all this stuff for you? And he'll say, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I never knew you. Because he only knows those who are in his kingdom. He only knows the sheep that are in his fold. So this is a massive moment of warning You can know it all and not be in. And the concern is this. Are you actually in the kingdom? Are you in Christ? Or just hanging around outside? The pathway in the kingdom is repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. As your Savior and Lord, 613 laws don't get you in the kingdom. Faith in Jesus gets you in the kingdom. So I ask you the question today are you close? Are you on the doorstep? I mean, think about the, the passage in Revelation. Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. Are you going to come in? Today, are you in? Are you close? Are you far? If you're not in the kingdom today, my hope, prayer, and the step for you today is to humbly cry out to our Savior and God and ask that He would forgive you of your sin, repent of it, and come humbly in belief. That Jesus died in your place. Surrender your whole life to Him as Savior and Lord. And you're in. And nothing can take you out. When you're in His fold, He doesn't lose a single sheep. So today, are you in or are you out? Are you in or are you out? The priority of love is instruction for those who are in. If you're not in, You're going to fail left and right and have no hope in attempts to try and love the Lord and your neighbor. And if you are in, you're still going to stumble forward. So, for those of you who have put your faith and trust in Jesus, does your life reflect the priorities of the king? Does your life reflect what he says is the greatest command? And priority for his people for you uh, i want to pose another question for us in this uh, what what's the greatest obstacle between you loving god and loving your neighbor what's the greatest obstacle and if you're a home group leader maybe write that one down and discuss it in your home group what's the greatest obstacle that stands between you loving god and loving your neighbor I'll, I'll put forward you what I believe it is. An over-infatuated self-love. That we love ourselves more than we love God and our neighbor. That we are more concerned about ourselves, what we want, our will, our desires, our pleasures, our satisfaction, our comfort, our security, our control, and doing whatever we can to get it, then we are concerned about loving God and loving our neighbor. An over-infatuated love of the self. And here's the deal. Without intention to daily wake up and go, today, Lord, help me love you and love my neighbor, we default to self-love as human beings we default you know on your phone uh, restore reset go back to the original programming our original programming because of the fall of sin is selfish love so what's the biggest obstacle between you loving the lord it's not external things it's not things in the world we see or want to do it's you Think about this. What does the Bible say uh, fall into sin and temptation? Each one of us sins when we are lured and enticed by our own desires. We give in to them and sin is conceived. Those desires are in us. So we stand in the way, most often, in a love, a, a love for self. So, so in summary, for us to consider... God's greatest concern and priority is for your love of him and your love for your neighbor. Uh, do, you consider, do you consider loving the Lord each day? Do you consider in the mornings how your day uh, should be marked by a love for God? Do you consider in the mornings uh, living your life with a concern and consideration and love for your neighbor? God's desire, His priority for us as His people, the King's greatest priority for you is love. Love for God and love for neighbor. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You so much that You are a gracious God, that we can open Your Word and find in it um, truth that stirs and convicts uh, that you in these moments and your kindness and grace can convict our hearts of uh, where we are off place off base where we are uh, wayward and drifted away from loving you and loving our neighbor and, and your, hope, your intent in the Holy Spirit in that moment God is not uh, to shame us and so we praise you that you are not a God who shames but your purpose and intent in this moment is to draw us out of our sin and into joy and abundant life and obedience to you and love for you. So God, would you form us? Would you shape us? Would you mold us to be a people collectively and individually that overflow with an all-encompassing love for you, God? Who display that love you have given us and how we love our neighbors. And God, would you give us specific ways now? We bring now in this moment, Holy Spirit, bring a face and a name of a neighbor that we need to love. So God, we ask and we invite and we, we ask you to have your way in our gathering this morning as we sing and we respond that you would bring salvation, that you would draw us into deeper love for you and our neighbor. Help the priorities that you as our King have for us uh, to be real realities in our hearts. God, we thank you for loving us so much that you would give us your only Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.